You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Another episode, just trying to get through life. Uh, I want you to imagine with me, I was sitting in a coffee shop and I was trying my best to listen to my child who talks a lot. And I was trying to be present in the moment, listening to what they had to say. And right behind them was a bookshelf with lots and lots of books. And you know, I love to read. I read about a book a week. And so I was just kind of scanning the bookshelf as this child of mine was talking. And sure enough, there was this like really interesting image on a book that caught my attention. And it was like a, I don't know, it, it, it looked like an ostrich, but it really looked like an emu to me. Um, when I lived in Papua New Guinea, there was something called the cassowary um, that ran through the jungle. And um, I once ate it, and it was delicious. And so I saw the cover of the book, and I thought of my days in New Guinea. And then the title of the book even got me even more. It said, Coping with Uncopable Parents. Mic drop. Folks, this is like every single one of us listening to this podcast. We're kind of in the middle of life where we're raising kids, raising teenagers, raising young adults. And then we're also dealing with raising our parents in some ways who are getting old and having a difficult time with transitioning into old age. And you're learning new words about geriatrics and Medicare and Medicaid and private insurance and core, you know, commercial insurance. You're like, oh my gosh, I hope my parents have enough money for everything. So I, I sat down, I read this book and I was like, um, I need to contact the author and have a little chit chat. So I am so super pumped that Carol Ann Hamilton has joined me on our podcast. Welcome, Carol Ann. Wow, it is so terrific to be with you and your valued audience today, Kumar. Thank you for reaching out and finding me. You, you're, you're welcome, and thank you for saying yes, because this is definitely something that is just in the forefront of so many people's uh, minds. So let's just jump into it, Carol Ann. What, what made you write this book? Yeah, you'd wonder, how do you go from a corporate career in training and development for a bunch of years to entrepreneurship with organizations and people helping them to achieve their visions and their dreams, and suddenly, elder care, what? <laughs> well, there's always an explanation, and it's called life. Mm. So picture Sunday, February the 7th, 2010. Yes, you can look it up on a calendar for that year, and I assure you that it is an accurate date because at 7 p.m. that day, get a call from my dad. I'm not managing mom so well anymore. Both lived at home in the house in which I grew up, and I go, oh, oh I can tell this is code speak for we are starting to get into it. And this was confirmed the next day when a group of teachers and I were meeting on a consulting assignment, lamenting already mm. our aging parent issues. And all of a sudden, one of them who knew about a leadership book I had written said, 
I see another book for you, Carol Ann, because she knows I love to write. Yes, sorry. And so I went, really? And so I went home and I thought, yeah, you know what? This is needed. Yeah. And that's what started me on the trajectory of what eventually became the coping with uncopables brand, shall yes. we say. Yes, there's there's a series of of books and material that people can go into. So describe to me kind of what you describe very well in the book of what an uncoupable parent looks like. Well, they're the opposite of an easy one <laughs> <laughs> to start out with. And uncoupable <laughs> really describes the degree of impossible that I mm. contended with, with my parents growing up. I am an only child. That doesn't make a difference in this case, really, whether you have brothers or sisters or not, you know, you know, the parent and I'm very transparent, Kumar, you know that about me. Mm-hmm. So my father battled alcoholism while I was growing up and my mom paranoid schizophrenia. So that really formed a lot of my growing up years, you know, kind of being a counselor mm-hmm. to them at a very young age in life. It's how I develop listening skills too. But the fact is that, uh, you know, it really showed me that my father especially was stubborn to a degree of about 500%. Mm. So you try to prevail with that. And hence the name uncopable kind of came to me. I was chatting with a friend and they said, you know, it's like they're uncopable. And I went, yeah. So how do you cope? with uncopable parents who are almost impossible to navigate through this already challenging chapter of life. Yeah, so do you, do you find this to be um, generational? Because I feel like, you know, people my age are much more open to talk about death and dying and aging and coming up with a plan. Whereas, you know, my parents' age, I was, you know, you, you know I'm, I'm involved with palliative care and, and hospice. So I deal with dying people every day. And what I find is a lot of times they know they're going to die. They just don't want to talk about how that's going to happen. And they just hope their kids will take care of whatever happens. Um, do you feel that's kind of generational where it's just kind of that um, baby boomer who aren't really fully ready to talk about how things are going to end? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Admittedly, I was in my mid fifties when I was contending with the worst of it. And my parents were in their late eighties. So they are of a generation. However, one of my clients that I worked with a little while ago, her dad is about 67 and she's 35. That was surprising to me because I would have thought, okay, somebody in their 60s might be more open-minded because there's a traditional mindset that often clicks in at the age of 80s and 90s. But no, she had the same problems. And so I thought, wow, with an aging population in so many places of the world, as you know, I think this issue is only going to become worse before it gets better, to be honest with you. Yeah. So so talk talk about the kind of just the dynamic, the power dynamic that typically shifts um, from child to caretaker, from parent to child. Yeah, indeed. It's a very big power shift. And many people don't recognize it until it's at their doorsteps. How do you raise aging parents 
when they've always been the one to parent in whatever mm -hmm. fashion that may be. And as much as I also don't have children of my own, unless you some days count my husband, <laughs> in which case I have one, <laughs> then uh, I would say it's a very distinct shift. And, you know, we were chatting before this podcast and, and saying, you know, how do you get forceful mm -hmm. when some decisions need to be made in line with this power shift? And I was thinking about the word forceful. And I'm going to beg to differ with you, Kuar, on the word forceful, because, yep. you know, in the coping with uncopable parents, I have an A to Z list that I'm going to give you of what not to do. And it's all forceful words. So I'm going to give it to you yep. about as fast as I can do it. Abdicate, beg, cajole, demand, explain, force, grovel, humiliate, insult, jump up and down, kill, as in you want to kill them some days, lie, manipulate, name call, override, uh, plead, quarrel, retaliate, shout, train, uh, as in trying to educate them, undermine, vanquish, make them wrong, exacerbate, yell, and zeal, like demonstrating the zeal of a an over whatever type of person. Okay, mm -hmm. so there's what not to do. Okay, that is forceful. Do you want the what to do? Yeah, yeah, please tell us what, what works the best. And this is all through experience. I once did a mathematical calculation and I came up with 250,000 hours of lived experience mm -hmm. dealing wow. with unculpable parents. You come up with kind of like the hours in a day, times the number of days in the year, times the number of years that I've been dealing with, with them since about the age of 12. They're both passed away now, but I'm just mm -hmm. saying that's how it came to 250,000. So here's a compendium of what kind of does work A to Z. Acknowledge them, balance, like keep your own sense of balance throughout, compassion. And I'm sure you know a lot of this through your palliative care. Determination, empathy, focus, gentleness, hope, keep up the faith, ingenuity, joking, not at their expense, but a little bit sometimes playfulness, if it's appropriate, kindness, listening, Mastery of yourself as the caregiver, as the adult child, nurturing, optimism, patience, questioning, not so much the Spanish Inquisition, shall we say, but more questioning as in showing interest in their lives, respect, stamina, thankfulness for what your parents did sacrifice on your behalf, understanding, vulnerability, more like tenderness, I suppose, wisdom, extreme self-care, a yearning to ease their burden and zen as in calmness so there's an overview for you yeah, shall we say yeah, that, that's good so what are what are some of the kind of top three nuggets that you tend to help with clients on what they're really going through um, when they're dealing with their parents there are two sets of three if i'm permitted there's sort mm -hmm. of the practical and then mm -hmm. there's the emotional so on a practical level for those action-oriented folks that are with us, it will likely come to pass that the folks may not be able to stay in their home of a number of years. My parents occupied the home in which I grew up, and that's where my dad passed away for over 50 years. 
Mm. Now, in 50 years, there's the possibility of a lot of accumulation of life's stuff. In their instance, it almost became a hoarder's situation, a little bit depression era, World War II, you can mm-hmm. kind of figure out why. So the talk about, is it time to move into an assisted living facility or is it time to get in-home caregivers, neither of which my father would have stood for for himself. We did have in-home care for my mom. And he barely tolerated it, but he understood why it was necessary with growing physical ailments. So the moving, the financials, and we'll probably come to financials again, but there's a lot involved in getting the paperwork lined up. And then the proverbial releasing the car keys, as in the driving conversation. Mm -hmm. My dad was a school teacher for his career. And so... He did driving of trucks in summer holiday times to earn extra money for the family. So he prided himself on his driving prowess, shall we say. So imagine trying to get a dad like that to stop driving because he was becoming an increasing hazard on the roadways and to himself. So those are some practicals of a threesome. And then there's also, because you ask about What do I encounter with my clients often? Mm -hmm. And it's a same journey that I did to Kumar, which is it's Mm kind of like too soon, too late, and maybe just right. Like we were in a Goldilocks saga or something like that. Because when people are at the early stages of this journey of, of life, I have found that they can go into denial, kind of like the you know, grieving cycle, denial. And that means, oh, what happened to me? Hey, when it happens, I'm sure I can cope because I've been a competent adult all my life and I have maybe kids of my own and hey, no problem. Okay, right, is what I say. You wait, but if you wait until it's too late, you're gonna be in the midst of the overwhelm. And that is not a position I would recommend for anybody. So what's the right? The right in my experience with clients and myself is to get a bit proactive around this before you're in the trenches, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you you know it's coming, you it's gonna happen. And you know, sadly for most people with the disease trajectory, you know, that usually follows old age is it oftentimes isn't gradual. There's finally like a slip or a fall that makes people just hit, you know, very, very hard. And then you have a crisis. And then from that crisis, they bounce back up, but then now it continues to be kind of a a slow or rapid decline. So before that, you know, hits, it's, it's great to say, okay, I've got parents who are aging. Maybe I should put a plan in place where I can kind of know how to deal with it is, is what I hear you saying. It's hard. It's hard. Nobody finds this a popular subject, particularly, but that is the art in order to avoid a whole bunch of other circumstances for the parents, as well as for yourself, as now the one raising the parents. So I want to ask you about um, self-care for the caregiver. Um, You know, one of one of the things that I find especially when I'm dealing with clients and families who are in the midst of just crisis. Um, there, there's three words that I will describe them as. One, 
they're exhausted. Two, they are brain tired, uh, if that's even a word, but you know, they just, you can't even soak in more information. It's just so, so clouded. And then three, you're going financially broke. Um, you know, it's just a real, real hit on the wallet. You got kids who are going to college, you got sports that you're paying for, you have financial commitments you've already made, and then now you're buying diapers and insure and stuff that, you know, you didn't realize that you would have to probably buy at the end and, and that could last for years. So what do you say to people who are just like, I am about to just burn down. I'm so exhausted. I don't know what to do for myself. Yes, because Kumar, you know, the, there's a term in coaching that we use a lot called extreme self-care. Mm. And sometimes I find that it gets overused mm. as well. Oh, yeah, just well, just practice some self-care. Okay, when your brain burned out and exhausted and financially broke, that's not actually helpful. The only thing I'm going to say to make the argument for self-care is that 63% of caregivers have a higher death rate than those of, our, of their payers who are not going through that particular situation in life. So death rate actually is my argument along with long-term issues such as heart disease, diabetes, cancer, to name a few, never mind things like slower wound healing or other matters, physical in nature. And so it's the question of if you don't take care of yourself, you know, the proverbial oxygen mask, mm -hmm. this is what you're going to be looking at. So a suggestion additional to what's out there that I can offer people is to get a little bit rigorous with yourself around what I'm going to call boundaries. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe people will say, yeah, but you know, I don't wanna be hard hearted. Well, near the end, my father was having trouble distinguishing literally night from day. We would be up to daily calls often around 5.30 PM, but he would as often as not call at 5.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. Much as we're up, he was getting confused. So as calls increased, I didn't always take the call and people can say, but Carol Ann, what if it was an emergency? I knew my parents for 50 plus years. I knew if it was an emergency or not, because I'm a very intuitive child. So I knew which calls could be skipped and which couldn't. And really, if there was an emergency, either he'd call back or the machine would take it. I'd call him immediately back and he'd be sitting by the phone and there it would be. So some kind of boundary around the same 24 hours that each of us has in a day. And I know you don't have, I'm addressing your audience. I know you don't have time mm -hmm. for yourself. And unless you want long-term disease, or unless you want to be totally overrun by this chapter of life, which I was more than once, then I think something is gonna be called for like boundaries. After all, isn't it Einstein that said the problems of tomorrow cannot be solved at the same level of thinking that created them in the first place? Yeah, that's great. Innovation. Mm -hmm. 
That's great. And I, I would add, um, you know, one of the one of the counsels that I give to people is similar to what you're saying, and that is um, schedule time with your parents. So just let them know, hey, every Sunday at two, I'm going to come and take you grocery shopping. So, <laughs> you know, when they call you on Wednesday, I'm like, can you pick me up, you know, some random things that, you know, don't really need to be picked up urgently. You can say, oh, don't forget, you know, I, we agreed. I'm going to be there on, on, on Sunday at two o'clock and I'm going to add this to the list as well. And a lot of times it's not the urgency, it's the reassurance that they need to hear from you. Yeah, good one. Excellent suggestion. Yeah. yeah. So let's just um, talk about kind of the hard conversations with your parents, you know, especially about what they want at the end of their life. You know, one of the things I do a lot is advanced directive conversations, mm -hmm. um, goals of care, what they want when, when things are, you know, declining. It's very hard for a child to kind of just go to the parent who's always been their source of strength um, to kind of go, hey, you're, you're getting weak and old and you're diminishing and we need to talk about what that looks like so we can make good decisions for you um, when that time comes. Is there, is there any words of advice that you can give to people on, on how to have those conversations with their parents? Yes, it is very rough and can be very contentious. Why the car keys is such a problem, for example, is because driving represents one of their last vestiges of independence. Mm -hmm. Why the financials can be challenging is because it's like, are you trying to take my money? You know, are you trying to take over my banking affairs? Mm -hmm. If you get joint account status, both parents were, were very frugal coming from the generation that they did for me. So here's, here's what to do. Find the argument, and I mean the case, like a business justification for why this would be important. My dad was one where I don't want the government to get all my money. Okay, so just so you know. And so I came. Okay, Dad, then in order to prevent that, how about we go to the banking institution that you've been with for like 70 years or something of that sort? You know, the ladies there, you like them. They like you. Why don't we go in and have a little conversation with them? And so this is called the banking story. I'm going to try to condense it for these purposes, but I think it's worthwhile because it demonstrates mm -hmm. certain qualities that will be needed from the caregiver. So we got it all teed up, right? Behind his back, okay, admit it. Did I just say that out loud? Yes. I consulted them and I said, you know, we're gonna come in and I want you to have everything organized the way he likes it. And I want you to treat him like a king the way he likes it. And we're gonna talk about setting this up so that government doesn't get your money. Beauty, we get there. He pulls out the same wallet of dog-eared photos from his truck driving days in the 1940s. <laughs> and we all dutifully look. And then we get down to business. And he's like, wait a minute. If you're going to set up joint account banking, does that mean you have access to my money? Yes, dad. So it can be to pay your bills, because I know you want to be diligent about that. And should anything happen to you, I know you'd want your bills to be paid. Because he was responsible that way. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think I like that. And he already was storming out of the branch with me in tow. And I'm like, 
God grant me the serenity. So what do you do in that case? We were almost there. The pen was in his hand. No, don't want it. What you do is you remount your energy because you know this is important. You pull up your patience mm -hmm. and you set up a new appointment. Because as soon as we were home, he was like, yeah, I guess I was a little bit harsh. I was thinking to myself, okay, yeah, like when the terrible twos become the awful 80s or something like that. Yeah. We got it done on the second round, but it was not easy. And so persistence, patience are other things that need to happen to make sure that you have things like power of attorney, mm -hmm. that there is, and you know this, but for people with us today and beyond, the the will last will and testament. My dad was really great, funny enough, about indicating that if he was ever hospitalized, which he was for the last six weeks of his life, that he wanted comfort measures only. Mm. And that was in writing. So I was able to communicate that to the doctors because without it, they probably would have done other procedures, which he would have absolutely hated. That's the, the banking story is such a great story because there's there's a lot of lessons in that, including the lesson that you have to also suck up your humility humility and leave and know that you're gonna to have to come back again. And you know, in, in some ways, as you were telling that story, I was kind of just thinking about, you know, the, the same way that you potty train a toddler. You know, it's not gonna happen the first time normally. You you you're gonna to have to have the patience and go back and hold their hand and restart. And part of you know doing that is recognizing that your parent is losing a tremendous amount of autonomy and power that they've always had. And, and, they're, and they're giving it over to you, right? Um, so I think that's a really great thing that you went in in advance, you talked to the bankers, you let them know what was happening, they were prepared. So it would be the best scenario possible for your dad. And still it didn't work. And then you had to go back again because he needed time, some time to kind of emotionally accept what was happening. Yes, yes. I think, Kumar, the, the emotional toll in all regards that caregiving exacts is very underestimated by most people. You know, they, they sometimes think, oh, so I'll just organize mom's and dad's medicine cabinet and everything should be cool, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the least of it. It's mm -hmm. the emotional stuff I have found anyway. Maybe you do too with your... Yeah palliative um, care. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's mostly emotional and it's you willing to say it's going to be a pro process. So we may have to take three months to make this happen. And it's hard because you're also a parent, you're a spouse, you got work, you got grocery bills, you got, you know, you, you got a whole bunch of other things. You're trying to squeeze this into your very busy plan. And sometimes it doesn't go as planned. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you think that you have this time frame set aside to do it, and then it doesn't work. So it's how do you find a new time? Very exasperating. And as we are still filming during the pandemic, you know, the, that has only exacerbated a lot of these matters. Yeah. Well, one, one of the uh, probably the, the, the biggest crisis I see families go through is when there's multiple siblings. Um, because not everybody's on the same page. 
Um, you have, you know, some uh, one sibling who's going to do whatever it takes, any kind of extreme measures to keep mom and dad alive, you know, whether they, they need to be alive or not. You have other people who are um, kind of rough around the edges and don't have the social skills to talk um, really well around, you know, crisis in the family. And oftentimes it's the oldest child that, you know, is the decision maker, even so sometimes they may not be the best decision maker. So what kind of, you know, advice do you, practical advice do you give to people with um, multiple siblings who are in the decision-making process? A very common issue unto itself, challenging. And, you know, whether there are 10 brothers and sisters or no brothers and sisters, as in my case, it's true. There are, there is often the responsible one, as I like to call them might often be the one that mom and or dad found the most reliable child out of all growing up. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that get turned to. I have, I can count at least half a dozen friends right now in my circles who are just that. Yet, when it comes to inheritance conversations, then all of a sudden the other siblings want to say in the piece. So what do you do? If, possible. My ideal suggestion would be to hold a family meeting, again, not maybe too soon, but also not too late, and really have, have everybody sit down, whether it's virtual or in person, to talk about their feelings, their perspectives, etc. I know I facilitated these ones kind of like a contentious business meeting with your boss. Mm -hmm. Not unlike, not like, unlike the workplace. And so in that, everybody needs to have the time and the space to air their truths, as I like to call it. However, there does then need to come a time where some decisions are made. And just like you're in a training program, working with a bunch of employees in a workplace, you know how there's always one participant that kind of wants to dominate with their mm -hmm. wisdom. Well, that one cannot be the only voice at the table. So it's how do you do with that? You have some rules of engagement about how we're going to operate together as siblings. We are going to agree to those, each of us. And then if we don't, we come back to this code or set of engagement principles. And we say, okay, look, this is what we decided, all of it put in writing, whether it's the responsible one or a different sibling, there probably does need to be some kind of central coordination. I will always advise that that be done in writing too. So I have a friend who goes to visit weekly with mom in the assisted living facility. And she, she writes out her notes in detail for what she found and sends them to her brothers and sister so that everybody is apprised of mom's status. And for the parents, if they could, it would be great, but also a process unto itself. If they could even perhaps start to think about if they have some specific wishes for a mm -hmm. particular child, we're back to inheritance now, Maybe, maybe they could even start to 
release those items or some of those funds now because you know about probate and all kinds yeah. of things that can arise when you need the money the most mm -hmm. back to the financials so I think with siblings it makes it more complex but you mentioned the indirectly the parallel between the only and the older sibling mm -hmm. although I handled everything alone basically the responsible one often does too. Many in my circle say, you're so lucky that you're an only child, Carolyn. Okay, really? <laughs> when I had to hire extreme cleaners because it was so bad in the house at the end, I won't go into it because it's not good. But yeah, working in there during a blistering summer without air conditioning, I wasn't exactly feeling lucky in those yeah. months, right? Yeah, and I think that that's really great counsel. And I, I was gonna say, so much of what I'm asking you is in your book from your own personal experiences and you know ways to really kind of navigate this, this difficult um, period. Um, this period sometimes can last 10 or 15 years. It's not something that's just you know six months and it's over. So you have to really put some um, intentional time into it so you, um, don't get burnt out and that you also are able to fulfill other parts of your life that need to go fulfilled as well. Yes, because to sacrifice your own life, as in your health, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, will do nobody any good. And it is often a long haul situation. Again, many in my circles are dealing just with that. Mm -hmm. Mom in the assisted living weekly, Alzheimer's now contracted COVID while in the facility. You can just imagine yeah, a nightmare. Absolutely. Carol, thank you so much for um, joining me today. Where, where can we find more of you and where can we find the Coping With um, branded series? <laughs> That's right. Thank you. And uh, you can find it at Coping With Uncopable Parents. Dot com, or even you can put in carolannhamilton.com. That'll take you to the same place where the books and other resources, uh, recordings of my podcasts, etc., interviews are located. And Kumar, I want to make sure to say thank you so much for having me be with your valued audience, the opportunity to be with those whom you treasure in this space is not lost on me. It's a privilege to gain that exposure. So I'm personally hoping that there might be even one thing that each of us have exchanged today that will help somebody out there. Because if we made a difference for one person, that would be just terrific. That's so great. And I, and I will tell my listeners that Carol Ann is very responsive. So if you go to her website or read her book like I did, um, she, she's going to be willing to communicate with you on the other side as well. So thanks again. And until next time, God I look bless. forward. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Kumar. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit concierge or send us an email at concierge at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. 
Until next time, go and live your best life.